Bell. Kia ora. It is great to hear you in church this morning. It's not only good to see you, but it's great to hear your voices from the front as I hear you singing your praises this morning in the heart of worship. If today's your first time joining us, or you haven't been paying attention the last few weeks, this Sunday is our Thanksgiving faith offering. It's our M3 Giving Sunday. It's a chance like we have every year, an opportunity for us to come back to a heart of worship and simply say, God, what is it that you would have us contribute towards the advancement of your kingdom through our church in the areas of mission, of mercy, and momentum? We do it right across our church all together. A chance for us to say yes to God afresh for, with great faith for the future. This morning, the area that we're focusing on is our financial giving. But there are so many other ways that we can give to Christ through the church. We can give of our time and of our service, of our gifts and abilities, and so many other things. But this morning, our giving with our finances is just that part of our worship. Hopefully over the last few weeks, or even if you've been around Life Church longer than that, you will have heard that it is part of our worship, and we thank you for your worship as you give to Christ through the church. This season, these last few weeks, leading up to today, is you will have heard us say, you will have heard us sing and say it again, this is a heart season, a moment and an opportunity for you and God to have a moment of worship. Hopefully you've felt no pressure or compulsion from the church or that someone's looking over making sure you're writing the right amount. It's not about an amount, it's about your heart and response to God. Coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about Jesus. It's all about God and his son and the great hope that we have in him. It's about walking with the Holy Spirit, listening to his guiding and trusting that as we step out in obedience, there is someone else's salvation and impact that we can have on their life. That those around us would know the person of Jesus because of our response in worship. What is the heart of worship? It's putting Christ back at the center of my whole life. Not just part of my life, but all of it. Romans 12 verse 1 says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Christ at the center. Christ at the center of my family, of my workplace. Christ at the center of my business, at the center of my finances, and at the center of my worship. It's all about Christ at the center. It's so easy to just assume that Christ is at the heart of all of it. But it takes our intention. It takes some thought to make sure that he really is in the proper place. Worship is Jesus having all of it, having access to all of my life, not just 10 till 11.30 on a Sunday morning, not just a moment where it's convenient, or comfortable for me to have a relationship with Jesus, where it's comfortable 
for me to have conversations with others or to just look good in front of other people. It's a position of humbling oneself in full service and dedication to God. It's responding with compassion when my emotions want to drive me to anger. It's responding with kindness and the grace of Jesus when logic tells me just to give up or to let it go. And understanding that people's eternity, people's life, freedom, and joy is on the other side of my obedience to Christ when I worship and serve Jesus. This posture of mission, mercy, and momentum isn't just a New Testament story, isn't just a New Testament concept, because we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How grateful are we for that? It's one that we find throughout the Bible, a pattern that we see. And this is the pattern we feel God gave us as Life Church, our posture for, towards our M3 Thanksgiving faith offering. Prioritize the mission of God, that is to make disciples of all people. Respond with mercy to everyone we come in contact with. And we'll see great momentum in his church to advance his kingdom here on earth. The pattern, mission, mercy, momentum. It's a biblical pattern. Now, many of you will know the story, I'm sure, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. However you want to say his last name. These men, along with Daniel, were chosen out of the tribe of Judah, just as young men to come and be trained in the king's court. They were to be trained by the wisest, most cleverest people in the whole country. They were to eat the finest food from the king's table, to be trained and equipped, and then once they were ready after three years, to then serve in the king's court. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they turn up to the king. They get taught by these wise people. And they're offered food, the finest food from the king's table. But realizing where this food has come from, they choose to not defile themselves with this food and instead choose to only eat vegetables and water. That's quite a commitment, I would think. You could put it this way. In other words, they chose not to indulge in what those around them told them was good for them. Said would make them strong and healthy. They didn't give in to the pressures of the palace to consume what society told them was the best of the best of what they could have. But they chose to serve God, even in what they were eating. They chose to trust God, our God, for the very nutrients that they needed to grow and become strong men. And from this moment, we're taught, as they were taught and chose to put God first in their lives, we see them blessed. The guard, the person responsible for their well-being, making sure they looked fit and healthy. It says, the Bible says that he had favor on them, and so he let them have their diet of vegetables and water. And he comments that after a week, and then after months, not only did they look as good as those who had the diet of the king, but they looked better than the diet they were being offered better than the other people who were being trained. It's amazing how spiritual disciplines have physical benefits. 
but that's another whole message in itself. But that's the point, isn't it? As they chose to put God first in their lives, in all aspects of their life, even their eating, they were blessed physically and spiritually. And then there comes the moment where they're presented to the king. In Daniel 1, 18 to 20, uh, sorry, in 1 Daniel, 1 Daniel, verse 20, says this, this is the king talking to them. He says, in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. A little later on, the king had some problems with some dreams. He was restless waking up at night with these dreams and he had no idea what they meant. And so he gathers all his advisors, his magicians and enchanters, and he gives them an impossible task. Instead of just saying, here is my dream, would you please tell me what it means? He says to them, you tell me what my dream was and then tell me what it means. They look at him and like, um... No, no, you tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret it. He's like, no, you tell me the dream, and then you tell me what it's about. Sounds pretty hard to interpret when you're not even being told what it means. The king became so angry, so upset and frustrated by his lack of answers, he issues a desperate and unhelpful decree that all of his advisors, magicians, and enchanters all across his nation should be put to death. Logical. Now Daniel heard of this. Someone came to him and said, Daniel, you're about to be put to death because the king won't tell us what his dream is and we can't interpret it. He says, well, that doesn't seem right. So he turns up to the king and he says, King, just give me one night and I'll talk to my God and he'll reveal it to me. So the king, being the gracious king that he is, says, yeah, you can have one night. So Daniel goes home and he gathers his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And says, right, we've got to pray and pray that God reveals to us not only what the dream means, but what the dream even is. And that night they prayed. They sought God in the quiet and God answered them. The next morning they went to the king They gave their answer, said, this is your dream and this is what it means. And the king, so amazed, so impressed by their God that he placed all four of them in places of influence around his kingdom. When you spend time with God in the quiet, with the Holy Spirit, seeking and asking him for his revelation, he can bring answers that our logical minds can't make sense of. He can make impossible things possible and reveal the heart of God. There can be hope to desperate cries. What I love about Daniel is he didn't isolate himself, didn't go, I can do this. I'll do this on my own. What he does is he gathers in his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gathers them in together and says, come and pray with me. Come and seek God with me for this issue. He recruited his friends to pray and to seek God. This is them living out the mission, living a life fully devoted to God, not only in what they've eaten, but in prayer, 
fully devoted to Christ, praying and gathering those around you to pray and intercede on behalf of others. When others don't have the answers, when the king couldn't find any answers and looked to the world to his other advisors for meaning, he couldn't find it. They need Jesus. They need the hope of the risen Savior. The cross and the resurrection is not just for those who've grown up in a home that talks of faith. It's the answer to the world's problems. His name is Jesus. Make his name known. Pray for people. Pray for situations. Pray for ones that seem impossible. Have conversations of faith. Be part of a life group, part of the church which you are today. Have friends that in times of crisis you can call upon to pray into. In times of pain, you can join with in the battlefield of prayer to see impossible things, see revelation come. It's not just a, ah, ah, well. Hope, hope that changes next time. It's choosing to get in. Get involved. This is people's eternity. We can sit on the sideline and point out what other people should do. But we're called to get involved in the mission of God. Make it personal that others need to go, that we need to go, that others need to know of the freedom we have in Christ. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, he made it personal, 19 and 20, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. You probably know this verse off the top of your head. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is Jesus speaking. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Don't you wish, he said, and I will tell someone else to go. Telling people about the things I taught them. And I have commanded them, and I will be with them. But he doesn't, he says, you. This command is for you, and the person sitting next to you, and for me. Go and live on mission. Prioritize the mission. This is why we've got these buildings that we're building out the back. Not just so we can have buildings that can be seen from miles around because they sit so high but so that hope can be brought to this community. The person of Jesus would be made known. Time and time again as we launched this campus, people talked about this vision or these ideas or these thoughts they were having about light in this community, that this campus would be a light to those around us, a lighthouse, light breaking through a wall. That when people see, they wouldn't just see a group of nice people who come in to sing cool songs, who have a great morning tea. God bless the people who make morning tea. But that they would find the hope of Jesus, the answer to all of their problems when they don't have any answers, when they've tried everything else, when they've asked their friends, their advisors, what's going on? And they're like, don't know. We might not all know all the answers, but we know Jesus. And so we take his message to all people living on mission. Now, just a few chapters later, we see the king issue a decree again, again that all people must bow down to this giant statue that he's erected 
in his own honor. A giant gold statue of himself. If you know Nebuchadnezzar, he's a little bit like this and a little bit like that quite quickly. He's erected this giant statue and he's like, this looks pretty good. I've got a good idea. Everyone should bow down to it. And so again, he puts the decree out. Everyone will come and bow down. But there are three people we know in the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some of the king's advisors, they find out that these three aren't bowing down to the idol. So the king's like, boys, calls them in and asks them this question, gives them a bit of an ultimation, an ultimatum in this question. Have you really defied this law? that you will not bow down. Because if you don't, I'll throw you into the furnace. And this was their reply. In Daniel 3, 16 to 18, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we, don't know, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are throwing into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver, it, deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I think if I was brought before a king who was threatening to throw me into a burning fire in case I, unless I bowed down to an idol, I don't think I would be so polite. I don't think I'd be like, your majesty. I'm really sorry, but we can't do that because my God is good and I'll only serve him, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's so gracious to the king. They don't reply with name calling or how his policies are negatively affecting the lives of his people. What they do is they point, them, point him to God. They respond with compassion and mercy. They don't turn around and say, thus saith the Lord. They simply re reply that the God they serve is able. We trust in our God. We know who he is. We know of his faithfulness. We know that if, if, his, if it is in his will, then he will deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not serve your gods. How disarming is this response? And how frustrating it must have been for the king. It's so much easier to get annoyed at people, I think, if they also get annoyed. But when we respond with mercy and compassion, it changes the conversation. Mercy positions us to have an impact missionally. Mercy brings people together and opens up doors for a different conversation. But in this situation, the king's heart was hard, and he had them thrown into the service, uh, into the furnace, into service, into the furnace. And this time, we see the mercy of God saving them from certain death. God's mercy, as we live missionally, can awaken revelation in the hearts of people. God's mercy as we live missionally 
can awaken revelation in the hearts of people. Ben, can I get you to come and join me back on stage? Daniel 3, 28 to 30. This is Nebuchadnezzar's response. He said this, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation, all language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. When Nebuchadnezzar had a revelation of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of the God they served, something shifted. And a new decree was established. To use our language, momentum was released in the nation that they might know their God. Why? Because three men lived with God at the center of their lives, responded with mercy and grace when, when, when they were confronted, and then revelation was released to those who needed to hear it when the mercy of God saved them from that furnace. Revelation that God really is the only God who saves. This morning, many of you will have come prepared to financially give towards mission, mercy, and momentum of the church. It's an opportunity for us in faith and with thanksgiving to come back to a heart and a place of worship to God, the one who saved us and who today gives us hope and life. Our giving is simply one way that we do this. In a moment, the the band's going to lead us in a song and, and then I'll get back up and introduce that giving moment, that opportunity for you to come and lay your offering in this chest. But before we get there, there are so many ways in which we can come back and respond with a heart of worship. We can surrender our lives to Him again. We can ask Him for revelation in a certain area. We can serve others and join a team. Maybe at home, at work, or through the church. We can say yes afresh in our hearts to His plans for our future. We can simply lay it all back down at the feet of Jesus and say, you can have it all. Would you stand with me if you're able this morning? God, this morning we choose to come back with an attitude and a heart of worship that you truly can have all of our lives. that in view of God's mercy, that we would offer our lives, our bodies as a living sacrifice that are holy and pleasing to you, God, that this would be our true and proper worship this morning. God, prepare our hearts. Prepare the way 
that we would serve you with all that we have. Illuminate the areas of our life that you need access to. Illuminate those parts that we've hidden away for whatever reason. Give us the boldness to let you in again this morning. God, highlight those around us who need to know of your hope, of your joy, of your freedom, of the salvation offered to us through Jesus Christ. God, give us courage to have conversations, to offer invitations. And God, also help us gather those around us to join with us in this battlefield of prayer, to pray and intercede on behalf of others, that we don't do this alone. God, this isn't a mission you just sent us on and said, good luck. But you placed us part of a church. And then you sent us your Holy Spirit that wherever we go, you promise to be with us. So this morning, Lord, as we, as we pray, as we worship, as we sing, prepare the way. Prepare our hearts with an attitude of worship. A heart fixed on the person of Jesus. Help us to let go of any distractions or that logic in our mind that is clinging to something else and have faith instead in you. God, give us the boldness this morning to respond. Maybe lifting our arms, our our hands for the first time. Maybe stepping out of your seat into the aisle for the first time as a physical response. Maybe just praying in worship. Maybe just listening to his voice. God, give us the courage to respond to your Holy Spirit. And let all that we do be good and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name.